Hey everyone, I'm Katie Ganaway, your host for this special episode of Arts Underground. Americans celebrate the freedom to read with Banned Books Week October 1st through 7th, and the American Library Association says this event spotlights current and historical attempts to censor books in libraries and schools. The Office for Intellectual Freedom says it documented more than 1,000 demands to censor library books and resources in 2022, a more than 20-year record high since the ALA began compiling that data. In Alabama, library patrons and opposing grassroots organizations like Read Freely Alabama and Clean Up Alabama are clashing on the, quote, appropriateness of library materials, programs, and policies. So, today, library pros, indie booksellers, authors, and other bookish folks all celebrate the freedom to read, sharing selections from their favorite banned books. Plus, we'll highlight Huntsville-Madison County Public Library's free local music streaming service, Blast Music. And now everybody's talking about the show in town. Arts Underground, let's go underground. Hear about the happenings and brand new sounds. Arts Underground, let's go underground. Hear what's happening now. Check out everything that's going down. Everybody's talking about the show in town. Arts Underground, it's the Arts Underground. Welcome back to Arts Underground, folks. I'm your host, Katie Ganaway. So glad you're here today. As I said earlier, Banned Books Week starts tomorrow, so now is as good a time as any to invite some local bookish folks to take part in this special episode. Our readers you'll hear today recorded with us between early to mid-September 2023, and a big thank you to the excellent folks down at 90.3 WBHM, the NPR affiliate in Birmingham, Alabama, for recording our first reader, Pulitzer Prize winning writer and reporter, John Archibald. Each reader will introduce themselves, read a little from the band book they've chosen, talk about why it's important to them, and why they feel others might want to read the book. And here's the disclaimer, of course these folks are speaking for themselves, individually, and thanks to a brainstorm sesh with my clever colleague Jesse Llewellyn, we thought Arts Underground should also highlight a rich musical resource to the Tennessee Valley from the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library local music streaming service, Blast Music. Libraries do offer more than just books, everybody. All right, let the reading commence. Yeah, my name is John Archibald. I'm a columnist at AL.com and an author who uh, loves books. And I have written quite a bit lately about Alabama's efforts and the part of a lot of Alabama parents' efforts to have books banned from libraries. Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. I found it as a kid and I didn't always appreciate it uh, as much as uh, perhaps I should have but in recent years it has become more relevant. Books and loud noises, flowers and electric shocks. Already in the infant mind, these couples were compromisingly linked, and after 200 repetitions of the same or similar lesson, would be wedded indissolubly. What man has joined, nature is powerless to put asunder. They'll grow up with what the psychologist used to call an instinctive hatred of books and flowers reflexes unalterably conditioned. They'll be safe from books and botany all their lives, the director turned to his nurses. Take them away. 
Still yelling, the khaki babies were loaded on their dumbwaiters and wheeled out, leaving behind them the smell of sour milk and a most welcome silence. One of the students held up his hand, and though he could see quite well why you couldn't have lower caste people wasting the community's time over books, and that there was always the risk of their reading something which might undesirably decondition one of their reflexes, yet, well, he couldn't understand about the flowers. Why go to the trouble of making it psychologically impossible for deltas to like flowers? Patiently, the DHC explained, if the children were made to scream at the sight of a rose, that was on grounds of high economic policy. Not so very long ago, a century or thereabouts, gammas, deltas, and epsilons had been conditioned to like flowers, flowers in particular, and wild nature in general. The idea was to make them want to be going out into the country at every available opportunity, and so compel them to consume transport. And didn't they consume transport, asked the student? Quite a lot, the DHC replied, but nothing else. Primroses and landscapes, he pointed out, have one grave defect. They are gratuitous. A love of nature keeps no factories busy. It was decided to abolish the love of nature, at any rate among the lower classes, to abolish the love of nature, but not the tendency to consume transport. For of course it was essential that they should keep on going to the country, even though they hated it. The problem was to find an economically sounder reason for consuming transport than a mere affection for primroses and landscapes. It was duly found. I chose this passage because uh, it reminds me, frankly, of why I like this book. Uh, 1984 gave us doublespeak and all these things, but it gave us a, a powerful government that mandated what people do. And in Brave New World, what, what the gist of it is to me is that it creates a world in which people don't want to be active in government, which they are, they're programmed really to not like those things. And they are encouraged, mandated to enjoy things like promiscuity and drugs and technological distraction to the point where they're easily manipulated. I would implore people to read it because I think that they should read all of these books, uh, you know, that explore power and control and just offer us new ways to think uh, about the things that go around us. Because you never know when you read fiction like this how much of it turns out to be fact. I am Lady Smith, and I am the owner of The Snail on the Wall, which is Huntsville's independent bookstore without a store. The book I'm going to read today is The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. I'm a parent, and this book was actually a favorite of my own teenagers, and so that's why it's important to me, because they found meaning and relevance in it, and I think a lot of teens do too. Dear friend, I haven't sent a letter to you for 20 years. I don't even know if this is still the right place to send it, but I'm going to send it anyway and hope that you find it. It would mean the world to me if you found it, because I want to say thank you. Years ago, there was a very sad kid who needed a whole lot of help, and writing to you was the beginning of that help. Whatever I've learned as an adult, I have never forgotten what it was like to be that kid what it was like to feel like no one could understand these feelings because I couldn't understand them myself. I have never forgotten feeling sad or crazy or depressed or outside of my own self and own body. 
Understand, friend, there are millions of us, millions of people who struggle with and overcome all sorts of problems. You would be shocked to know how many people understand exactly what you are going through. That doesn't mean that what you are going through is somehow less meaningful, special, unique. On the contrary, it means that what you are going through is more. It is important. It deserves to be seen, spoken of, and understood. So if these words make sense, if you have known these stories yourself, if you have experienced or witnessed abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, if you have struggled with mental illness of any kind or love someone who does, if you are surrounded by those who call what you are different instead of beautiful, if your mind or body has cried out for peace and acknowledgement and understanding, just know you are part of an infinite family, the people who have been through terrible things and survived them. If you are reading these words, you won today. You are here, you are alive. I chose this passage because books are often described as windows that open our views to other experiences or as mirrors that reflect our own experiences. And I think Perks of Being a Wallflower is important as a book that reflects many teenagers' real experiences, tough as they may be. Charlie, the high school character at the center of the book, is writing letters about all the things he and the teenagers around him are dealing with, from relationships to sexual identity to mental health challenges, the suicide of a friend. They're tough subjects, but they're real ones that Charlie faces and that many teenagers face too. It's important for teenagers to have validation that their lives and their stories are real and that they are, like Charlie says, part of an infinite family and that what they are going through, like he says, deserves to be seen, spoken of, and understood. This book is often banned because of the tough subjects that it deals with and because parents, I think, want to protect their kids from these subjects, these topics, but the reality is they're happening to these teenagers and it makes them feel seen to read about them in a book and they need to have access to these topics that they're already faced with every day. As the owner of an independent bookstore, I share the feeling that so many other booksellers across the country share, which is we should have free access to books and limiting access only harms all of us. And yes, people should be able to talk to their own kids about what they read, but those are individual choices that we should all make. And books create conversations, and we need more conversations. I'm Shannon Malone. I'm a writer and contributor in the bookish space. I write and contribute for Ann Bogle's Modern Mrs. Darcy Community and her What Should I Read Next podcast. I write and contribute to RocketCityMom.com. I am also the host and facilitator of the book club, RocketCityMom.com virtual book club. And I am a bookseller at Snail on the Wall Books. I brought Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. I was not introduced to Zora Neale Hurston until 
college, actually. I think my parents and the school that I attended did not deem it worthy of my attention, which, unlike an actual ban that this book is currently under in some communities, it was more informal. (laughs) I wish I had known about it earlier. So the passage that I'm going to read is actually just a sentence, (laughs) and you might be familiar with it because I had heard it before, uh, but did not know that it was from their eyes were watching God and Zora Neale Hurston. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. And I kind of like this one for the state that we find ourselves in right now. Um, 2020 asked a lot of questions of us as a country, the world, and you know, etc. And now you and I and the world is having to answer those questions. And it's very interesting that we're answering it by what we are currently doing, what we're thinking, and even what we're reading. I think Janie's story is very universal because she is having to really question what she has been told by other people as what is the way she should be and what is right for her. Her grandmother has dreams for her and places her in a marriage because she thinks that's what's best. And of course, Janie doesn't like the marriage and whatnot. Um, And so she journeys from doing what everyone kind of expects of her to trying to figure out what she wants and how she is going to live in the world. And I think that that's the universal story. There is another quote. She says, there are two things everybody's got to find out for themselves. They got to find out about love and they got to find out about living. And I think that that's appropriate for everyone because <laughs> we got to find out about love and we got to find out about living. She's encouraging us to discover the answers to questions of how we move through the world. And I realized that a lot of people, including myself, needed permission to do that. If you do need permission to do that and you want an entertaining story to go along with it, that is, you know, one of America's great works of fiction, even 100 years after it was written then. Hi, I'm Mandy Pinion, a lifelong book enthusiast and librarian for close to two decades. Today, I am reading a passage from a frequently challenged and banned book, And Tango Makes Three, by Justin Richardson. It was the first book that was challenged in my library and department as a youth services librarian, and the experience remains with me to this day. I came across this book as a youth services librarian doing collection development, which is where we select books that we feel would be representative of our communities and our readers at large. The book was highly reviewed and recommended for families, and I purchased picture books for the children in my department. It's a beautifully illustrated book, and I feel that the message is also very uplifting, and we see all different kinds of families in our society, so I felt like this was a wonderful pick to add to our collection. In the middle of New York City, there's a great big park called Central Park. Children love to play there. It has a toy boat pond where they can sail their boats. It has a carousel to ride on in the summer and an ice rink to skate on in the winter. Best of all, it has its very own zoo. Everyday families of all kinds go to visit the animals that live there. And in the penguin house, there are penguin families. Every year at the same time, the girl penguins start noticing the boy penguins and the boy penguins start noticing the girls. 
When the right girl and the white right boy find each other, they become a couple. Two penguins in the penguin house were a little bit different. One was named Roy and the other was named Silo. Roy and Silo were both boys, but they did everything together. They bowed to each other and walked together. They sang to each other and swam together. Wherever Roy went, Silo went too. They didn't spend much time with the girl penguins and the girl penguins didn't spend much time with them. Instead, Roy and Silo wound their necks around each other. Their keeper, Mr. Gramsci, noticed the two penguins and thought to himself, they must be in love. Roy and Silo watched how the other penguins made a home, so they built a nest of stones for themselves. Every night, Roy and Silo slept there together, just like the other penguin couples. And every morning, Roy and Silo woke up together. But one day, Roy and Silo saw that the other couples could do something they could not. The mama penguin would lay an egg. She and the papa penguin would take turns keeping the egg warm until finally it would hatch and there would be a baby penguin. Roy and Silo had no egg to sit on and keep warm. They had no baby chick to feed and cuddle and love. Their nest was nice, but it was a little bit empty. Then Mr. Gramsci got an idea. He found an egg that needed to be cared for, and he brought it to Roy and Silo's nest. Roy and Silo knew just what to do. They moved the egg to the center of their nest. Every day they turned it so each side stayed warm. Some days, Roy sat while Silo went for food. Other days, it was Silo's turn to take care of the egg. Until one day, they heard a sound coming from inside the egg. Peep, 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 it said. Roy and Silo called back, squawk, squawk. Peep, 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 answered the egg. Suddenly, a tiny hole appeared in the egg shell. And then, crack! Out come their, came their very own baby. She had fuzzy white feathers and a funny black beak. Now Roy and Silo were fathers. We'll call her Tango, Mr. Gramsci decided, because it takes two to make a tango. Roy and Silo taught Tango how to sing for them when she was hungry. They fed her food from their beaks. They snuggled her in their nest at night. Tango was the very first penguin in the zoo to have two daddies. Soon, Tango grew strong enough to leave the nest. Roy and Silo took her for a swim just like all the other penguin families. And all the children who came to the zoo could see Tango and her two fathers playing in the penguin house with the other penguins. Hooray, Roy! Hooray, Silo! Welcome, Tango! They cheered. At night, the three penguins returned to their nest. There they snuggled together. And like all the other penguins in the penguin house and all the other animals in the zoo and all the families in the big city around them, they went to sleep. This book is meaningful for me, not only because it's beautiful and it's reflective of diversity and it builds empathy and it's an introduction for children to look around and see that maybe not all families look the same, but they still have very similar meanings and feelings with, with one another. It's a wonderful bridge to introduce children to the world around them. And books can do that, whether it's through animals or people or puppets or what have you. And, and children are wiser than we give them credit for in that respect. I feel like others should read it, particularly adults, because it really does take you back to that central core that love is what unites us. Love is what makes a family and love can bring us all together and hopefully bridge these divisive gaps.
Hi, my name is Christopher Reese. I am a librarian at the UAH's Salmon Library. Today I'm going to read a passage from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. I read this book first time in ninth grade and I did not like it very much uh, until I read it again in college and I kind of started to understand some of the deeper meanings and deeper subtexts of it. Uh, and then I really, really got into it. Um, and so this is Huckleberry Finn. And afterwards, we would watch the lonesomeness of the river and kind of lazy along and by and by lazy off to sleep, wake up by and by and look to see what done it and maybe see a steamboat coughing along upstream. So far off towards the other side, you couldn't tell nothing about her, only whether she was a stern wheel or a side wheel. Then for about an hour, there wouldn't be nothing to hear nor nothing to see, just solid lonesomeness. Next, you'd see a raft sliding by, away off yonder, and maybe a galoot on it chopping because they're almost always doing it on a raft. You'd see the axe flash and come down. You don't hear nothing. You see the axe go up again, and by the time it's above the man's head, you'd hear the k'chunk. It had taken all that time to come over the river. So we would put in it the day, lazing around, listening to the stillness. Once there was a thick fog, and the rafts and things that went by was beating tin pans so the steamboats wouldn't run over them. A scow or a raft went by so close that we could hear them talking and cussing and laughing. Heard them playing, but we couldn't see no sign of them. It makes you feel all crawly. It was like spirits carrying on the way they did. Jim says he believed it was spirits, but I says, no, spirits wouldn't say, dern this dern fog. Soon it was night out, and we shoved out. When we got her out to the middle, we let her alone and let her float wherever the current wanted her to go. Then we lit our pipes and dangled our legs in the water and talked about all kinds of things. We was always naked day and night whenever the mosquitoes would let us. The new clothes Buck's folks made for me weren't too good to be comfortable. And besides, I didn't go much on clothes anyhow. Sometimes we'd have the whole river all to ourselves for the longest time. Yonder was the banks and islands across the river and maybe a spark, which was a candle in a cabin window. And sometimes on the water you could see a spark or two on a raft or a scow, you know. And maybe you could hear a fiddle or a song coming out from one of those crafts. It was lovely to live on a raft. So I chose this passage because this book is about a young person learning to think for himself for the first time. And he's setting off into the world uh, across this wonderful journey down the Mississippi. And he's learning to question the morality of society. And so he kind of retreats into almost the wilderness to get perspective on society. I think that's just very powerful. This book means a lot to me because I think it is just a beautiful story of a young person growing up and learning that questioning authority is really a very powerful American trait. And I think others should read it for that reason. Missy Watkins Wood is my name, and I used to work at the University of Alabama Huntsville Library for several years. I worked as the assistant head of circulation, and that was one of the places that I actually started picking up reading. The book I have chosen is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I told a friend of mine a couple of years ago, a very southern lady, that I had never read uh, Harper Lee, and she looked at me and she said, I can't look at you right now because I had not 
read the book. I went, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm getting on it. You know, so I ended up reading the book. Of course, I've seen the movie, but I really, really enjoyed the book. And it came from a totally different perspective of, of my childhood, you know, but I could, I, I could see the value of it right off the bat. You know, Atticus is my favorite person in that book. Atticus, uh, he's trying to help Tom Robinson, who is uh, being falsely accused of rape and assault on a, a white woman in the 1930s. But Atticus is, he knows it might be dangerous for him, he knows it might be dangerous for his kids, but he's got to do the right thing. And he wants to show his kids that to really know somebody, you really have to put yourself in their place. And he, as he says, put yourself in their skin and walk around in it. This is a mini buildup as Scout, the daughter, is her first day at school and lots of things have gone wrong. She's upset about it. And nobody understands her, you know, and she doesn't understand her teacher. And anyway, she comes back and she is talking to Atticus about the woes of the day. And he finally tells her, first of all, he said, if you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Sir, until you climb into their skin and walk around in it. For me, I think that it was a totally different look from the way I had grown up. I mean, I did grow up in the South, and I actually grew up in Alabama, but, of course, not the 30s. And things have changed to a certain degree, but there's still so many things in the book. I mean, there's still injustice. There's still racial prejudice. There's You still find people who lack the courage or last, lack the motivation to, to do the right thing because they're scared of what is going to happen. So I think it's very timely and very relevant now as it was in the uh, 1960s when it was first coming out. My name is Jenny Stedham, and I am a part-time instructor in the English department at UAH. I also started a band books club for staff, students, faculty, anyone at UAH who wants to discuss band books together. I will be reading just a little bit today from John Steinbeck's 1937 novel of Mice and Men. Lenny pleaded, Come on, George, tell me. Please, George, like you done before. You get a kick out of that, don't you? All right, I'll tell you, and then we'll eat our supper. George's voice became deeper. He repeated his words rhythmically as though he had said them many times before. Guys like us that work on ranches are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family. They don't belong no place. They come to a ranch and work up a stake, and then they go into town and blow their stake. And the first thing you know, they're pounding their tail on some other ranch. They ain't got nothing to look ahead to. Lenny was delighted. That's it, that's it. Now tell how it is with us. George went on. With us, it ain't like that. We got a future. We got somebody to talk to that gives a damn about us. We don't have to sit in no bar room blowing in our jack just because we got no place else to go. If them other guys gets in jail, they can rot for all anybody gives a damn, but not us. Lenny broke in, but not us. And why? Because, because I got you to look after me and you got me to look after you and that's why. He laughed delightedly. So uh, I found this book, well, I didn't find it. It was assigned to me as an eighth grader at the Donahoe School in Anniston, and I hated the ending. I got so angry that I actually, right after I finished the book, I took it 
downstairs where my dad was, and he's a, a longtime teacher and English nerd, reading nerd, book nerd, uh, <laughs> any of the above. And I threw the book on the ground and I said, John Steinbeck can go to hell if he's not there already. And my dad, who had never heard me use such language, I don't think, he was just sort of delighted. He smiled at me and I was like, what? And he looked at me and he said, Steinbeck made you feel something. And I was like, well, that is very much not the point. <laughs> uh, and as an adult, I've been able to teach of mice and men to eighth graders. And it, so it's come full circle, but I understand it now as an adult. The book to me is so much about friendship and friends who are family or friends who become family and the importance of taking care of the people that we love and the people around us. Uh, so that's why I chose that passage and that's why I chose this book in general, the importance of friendship and taking care of one another. My name is Garrett Hibbard. I'm an artist who goes by the name of You May Dine. Last year, I created a large painting that goes into the theme of book burning and the history of banned books dating back to Nazi Germany. And on the back of the piece, there's even a reference to the Babelplatz, which is a an empty library monument in Berlin. And the title of that piece that I painted is Barson, which is short for book arson. Reflecting on that part of history has led me to become concerned about the state of America's attitude towards books, and particularly books that may have ideas that don't gel well with certain portions of the public, but I still feel that they contain relevant information and uh, foster creativity and permeate ideas that are important to humanity in general. The name of the book I'm going to be reading today is The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. I found this book when, after reading Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, I became really obsessed with the idea of hysterical realism and magical realism, in that those are the kind of pieces that go into the finer, nuanced things of our reality, but do it through a fantastical lens. And uh, that's how I stumbled upon The Master and Margarita, which... Once you hear about a book that has a giant talking cat in it that likes to smoke cigars and shoot guns, how can you not want to read a book like that? So this passage I'm reading is when the devil, who is presenting himself as a, a professor from abroad, is speaking to two atheist literary critics in Moscow. And in fact, here the stranger turned to Berlioz. Imagine that you, for instance, start governing giving orders to others and yourself, generally, so to speak, acquire a taste for it, and suddenly you get <clears throat> lung cancer. Here the foreigner smiled sweetly, as if the thought of lung cancer gave him pleasure. Yes, cancer. Narrowing his eyes like a cat, he repeated the sonorous word. And so your governing is over. You are no longer interested in anyone's fate but your own. Your family starts lying to you. Feeling that something is wrong, you rush to learn doctors, then to quacks, and sometimes to fortune tellers as well. Like the first, so the second and third are completely senseless, as you understand. And it all ends tragically. A man who still recently thought he was governing something suddenly winds up lying motionless in a wooden box, and the people around him, 
seeing that the man lying there is no longer good for anything, burn him in an oven. I chose this passage because, one, I think it kind of speaks to the the dark humor that permeates throughout the book, but also when the titular master tells the devil himself about a book he had written and had thrown in the fire because it had caused him so much trouble with the Soviet government. And uh, Satan tells him, oh, you silly man, manuscripts don't burn, and is able to produce the book from the ashes. The book means a lot to me in that I went into this not knowing that there was a lot of religious imagery or that uh, it kind of posed Christianity in opposition to Soviet atheism, uh, or I should say atheism during Soviet Russia. And in reading it, it showed me that ideologies in and of themselves, like religious ideologies, are not bad. Is the people that will use those ideologies to further their own agendas, and that people inherently aren't good or evil, good and bad are a compass, and that we're all capable of good and bad, but there's also redemption for us as well. I think other people should read it because it is an interesting insight into what it was like in Soviet Russia to see what a world that is dominated by censorship and by an authoritarian government looks like, how it breeds greed and cynicism, and how that world that is portrayed in the book is scarily similar to our own and the world that we're starting to see around us, and to give us hope that even if the powers that be that dominate over us Uh, might try to silence us, that manuscripts don't burn. My name is Stephanie Walker. I am a former library professional, bookseller, and avid reader. Today I'll be reading from John Green's Looking for Alaska. John Green is a master storyteller, and his characters are so relatable to young people. He makes it possible for older readers, like me, to evoke the memory of young and reckless love like no one else I've ever read. His response to his book being banned is spot on, in my opinion. If you have a worldview that can be undone with a novel, let me submit that the problem is not with the novel. When adults say teenagers think that they are invincible with that sly, stupid smile on their faces, they don't know how right they are. We need never be hopeless because we can never be irreparably broken. We think that we are invincible because we are. We cannot be born and we cannot die. Like all energy, we can only change shapes and sizes and manifestations. They forget that when they get old. They get scared of losing and failing. But that part of us greater than the sum of our parts cannot begin and cannot end, and so it cannot fail. High school students need to have real conversations with their families and their teachers and their friends about things like grief and mental illness. And books have always been a wonderful catalyst for those kinds of heavy lifting discussions. When I worked as a library professional in the young adult department of the library, I often had concerned parents ask me about mature themes and topics before they allowed their older kids to check out books in that section. My philosophy is that books are the safest place in the world to experience something without actually experiencing it physically in real life. 
Where else can you fully immerse yourself in someone else's bad choices and the awful consequences of those choices? Of course, I always encouraged parents to read the book completely if they were truly apprehensive about the subject matter and not just a single passage or page, because text is meaningless without context. It'll challenge your worldview, it'll make you think of things you might not have thought of before, and you'll be better for it. huge thank you to our readers today, Lady Smith, Shannon Malone, Christopher Reese, Stephanie Walker, Jenny Studham, Garrett Hibbard, John Archibald, Mandy Pinion, and Missy Watkins-Wood. I wish you all a Merry Bend Books Week and encourage you to read one of the books you heard today and ponder why folks have challenged it, as well as how you personally feel about it. Reading builds empathy. That ain't scary. It helps us understand each other. By the way, gotta mention the episode you are hearing right now is up on our website, wlrh.org. Just click podcasts and shows, then arts underground. You can listen at your leisure and you can also share it on social media. Follow and like WLRH on Instagram and Facebook. Now, the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library's digital services have boomed in the last few years, including a stellar resource for all things local music. Last weekend, Blast Music, one of our PSA partners, actually, received special recognition from the City of Huntsville's Music Office, presented by the office's head honcho himself, Matt Mandrella, to the head honcho of Blast Music, Annie Phillips. So let's highlight one of our community's treasured services, uplifting music made and played here in the Tennessee Valley. Starting us off, Soul Carnival with Summertime. Why don't they just walk the gutter? Yeah, 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 okay. Summertime 2012, the world is over soon enough. No, you can't be rolling with the crew if you ain't going enough. Spill the old English on the pavement, force he packing them. Tracks, you know they stop you in. Gags, you know they packing them. Cause Dobby copped a pistol, now he feeling like invincible. Skipping school, but still got days, finger to the principal. On the road, student dueling, roaming with the criminals. Park the park, avenue on avenues, residuals. Hardly with the Pit, make them have a heart attack. Parties with Caucasian home invasion, stay with all of that. Judges disappointed, son, why you be a part of that? But that comes in the future, pay attention, did I lose ya? Got the homies on patrol, and family feud turn to silver woe. Preacher sermon Sunday got me wondering why we living for. After life is better, so we're down to die with them. Cause Vontae wrecked the Chevy and ain't no water at the levee. Summertime. Mama don't know that I do the same Serving out the beat 
Sits a window, circumvent the simple wage. Bags into my eyelids, stay grinding till the end of days. Hoping I stay safe, catch the blessings that my mama pray. She say that she worried, I stay running with some savages. Tattoos on their face, hands still smelling like they packages. Dipping up police's yards are turning into labyrinths. Running up on Jackson County roster, even trafficking. Who can say what's happening? The youth are on attack pads. They don't know the price of dope. Trying to bring the trap back. They say that they threw it, throwing hands. No, they passed that. Now we bout to up the ante, blow it.
twist on the beat. Elevated noise, man. This is deep. Ayy, keep it hundred like a C note. That's Dizzy Tarantino. Sippin' brown, I'm Nino. Green look like jalapeno. Stack chips like a casino. I gotta play these cards right. Ayy, we keep it rockin' like that hard way. All night, give it to her, going back to back. Said I'm the best she ever had. All I said was facts. Cabbage patch for my cataracts. And uh, flexing on my ex, that's a savage jack. In the lack, making moves on the interstate. Got a chick getting cake off of real estate. Hey, I'm a state trill, never been to break. I push weight till I found me a better way. Elevate that my mind stay top floor. Invested in myself, saw the stock soar. I'm just getting started, man. I got more. We just came to get this thing hot. Everybody's hit the flow. Let the bodies hit the flow. Everybody hit the flow. Everybody hit the flow. Yeah, we gotta go. Time ticking, so it's none to waste. Underlay, hit the gas, you pump your brakes. Face the snakes, get out my face. Give it to them straight, they gipping out of shape. Boulders on my shoulders, carrying the weight. I guess it's fate, but nothing can stop me. I just keep on pushing. I did what they said that I couldn't. Now I just keep cooking. The door got my foot in. Now I got them looking to work out and put in the blood, sweat, and tears. Been at it for years. Did what I did, it is what it is. Take off the lid and take me a swig. Stay going in, yeah, I do it big. I'm a purple bag, boy. Pull up in the lag, boy. Broke all fuck you had to do is ask for it. Fast forward to the money, let's get straight to it. I'll show you how to do it. Cause the lane's looking clueless. Fast forward to the money, let's get straight to it. I'll show you how to do it. Cause the lane's looking clueless. Let the bodies hit the flow. Let the bodies hit the flow. Everybody hit the flow. Everybody hit the flow. Yeah, we gotta go.
That's it for this special episode of Arts Underground, which you can hear again on our website, WLRH.org. You can also share this on social media. Just search WLRH on Facebook or Instagram. I'm Katie Ganaway. Thanks to all of our readers for sharing your band book picks today. If you are itching to read something great or learn more about the services our local library system provides, you can check it out at hmcpl.org and visit any of its 10 fabulous branches. I should note one of those services, WLRH, is a partner with HMCPL's local music streaming service, Blast Music, for our free PSA program. You can discover artists performing across the Tennessee Valley when you visit blast.hmcpl.org. And a playlist of the artists you heard today can be found on our website. Again, that is wlrh.org. As always, love yourself. I can't do it for you. Vive la leave. We are back next Saturday at 2. We'd love to have you listening with us again. This is 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio.